And a happy Mother's Day again to all you moms. And uh, here's the thing, you know, my mom always says this to me. So you're preaching on Mother's Day. You got a Mother's Day sermon lined up? And I guess she sort of assumes that when she steps into a church on Sunday, the pastor's going to give a message to the moms. Well, that's great, but not everybody in here is a mom. So then that makes it hard for a pastor. So it's like, what do I... So it's like, well, mom, because I know I answer to her too. It's like God and mom, okay? And so it's like, well, mom, I, I, I did give something for the ladies today. And, and gentlemen, that doesn't mean you tune out, okay? You're still tuned in because there's things that you can learn from God's Word as well. And so this morning, it's, and I, you know, and here's the thing I struggle with too, uh, sermon titles. Because, you know, we put on our podcast on our website. If you ever miss a sermon, you can go onto our website and click and listen to what you missed. But it's always got a title, and I always got to come up with a title for Dan. And Dan's like, Rex, what do you got for me? You know, and sometimes Dan's like, here, I got one for you. That's good. Let's run with yours, Dan. Uh, I don't, I can never think of a title. So if anybody's got a good title for today, just see me, see Dan afterwards and say, here's a good one. I thought like the three C's of a godly woman, but then there's a W in there. So it'd be the three C's and a W, but that doesn't make sense. Let's just go to God's word. That's where we need to be, right? Well, everybody's probably heard this story before. It's a story of Moses, and when he took the children of Israel out of Egypt. We're going to look at it from a different direction this morning. So if you would, open up your Bibles to the book of Exodus. That's where we're going to be today. There'll be a few other passages we'll jump around. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, we'll grab one for you and bring it your direction. We're in Exodus, Genesis, Exodus, second book in the Old Testament. Well, as I said, you've probably heard this story about the Israel's exodus from Egypt and when God freed everybody from slavery, which is a great story. You've heard about Moses. Oh, yeah, we all know Moses. And probably you've heard of Aaron, his brother. And we're familiar with the respective roles in that great deliverance. But how many of you have sat there and ever heard a message on Miriam, the older sister? Some of you are like, yeah, sister? The Bible depicts her as, leading, as the leading lady, actually, in the story of Exodus. And you sort of have to ask, so what's her story? But before we look at her picture in this whole story, let me do a quick quiz here, okay? And I'll let you answer with the person next to you, okay? And then we'll see how you did. According to the census data, the most common girl's name in the United States has historically been What? Confide with the person next to you. Go for it. Make a guess. And I'm going to tell you it's not Miriam, okay? Because you're like, oh, because we're talking about it, right? All right, here we go. If you said Mary, raise your hand. Wow. Very good. It's the wrong answer. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's the right answer. Very good. Very good. The most popular girl's name in the Western world, actually, is Mary or Maria, a form of Mary. There you go. Yeah, how's that? Nice. Some believe it's probably because of the spiritual legacy of the mother of Jesus, uh, Mary. But did you ever wonder who Mary was named after? And of course, we probably don't. We don't, we don't open up you know, the Gospels and say, well, there's Mary and Joseph. I wonder who Mary was named after. We, we probably don't know, and we probably don't know why exactly she was named that, but the Greek rendering of her name is actually... Miriam. And some of you are like, well, so? Okay, I want you to think about this, okay? 
Miriam, who helped raise Moses, who freed the people from slavery. Mary, who raised Jesus, who freed us all from slavery. There's a, there's a few cool connections here. But, and then to find out that the Greek rendering of her name is actually Miriam is quite interesting. But they, they shared similar names and backgrounds. But the story gets better. But we're going to do this. We've got to rewind, <clears throat> excuse me, a couple thousand years. Back to Exodus. So if we go back to Exodus... Matter of fact, if we were going to go to the book of Genesis, don't go there. We know that Joseph comes into Egypt. He brings his family. So now they're there, well up in position. Remember, Joseph was second in command. But fast forward 350 years and times have changed. As we look in the book of Exodus, and let's turn to chapter 1 of Exodus. Verse 6. In verse 6, chapter 1 of Exodus, it says this, In time, Joseph and all of his brothers died, and in that entire generation. But their descendants, the Israelites, had many children and grandchildren. In fact, they multiplied so greatly, they became extremely powerful, and they filled the land. Eventually, a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he'd done. And he said to his people, Look, the people of Israel now outnumber us and stronger than us. We must make a plan to keep them from growing even more. And if we don't, and if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies, they'll fight against us, and they will escape our country. So what happens is, this new Pharaoh, time has passed, he realizes there are more children of Israel, Israelites, than there are those in Egypt. They're outnumbered. So they make them slaves thinking that this will work. God's people, once a prominent position, now find themselves enslaved. But here's the thing. The enslaved number grows. Matter of fact, the Egyptians noticed this, and they made them thinking, well, if we can make their life as a slave a living nightmare, this will lower their numbers. And so the brutality of what they did to their slaves increased But here's what happened. The numbers of the slaves, the children of Israel, also increased. It says they appointed brutal slave drivers over them. Look at verse 11. Hoping to wear them down with crushing labor, they forced them to build the cities of Python and Ramses and supply centers for the kings. Verse 12. But the more the Egyptians oppressed them, the more the Israelites out multiplied and spread and the more alarmed the Egyptians became. So the Egyptians worked the people of Israel without mercy. The growth of the population didn't shrink. It increased. A new pharaoh comes along with a new plan. Okay, well, this didn't work enslaving them. This didn't work making their lives of a slave horrible. So here's the new plan. The new plan is we're going to kill all newborn babies that are boys. So if a baby is born and it's a boy, we'll just kill him on the spot. So the Egyptians had all these midwives that would go in and help deliver the babies. And if it was a boy, they would kill him. The problem is the midwives feared God. They feared God more than they feared Pharaoh, which was a great thing, right? Pharaoh figured it out. There's still a lot of boys being taken care of. So the Pharaoh gives a new order. Every newborn Hebrew boy will be thrown into the Nile River, but the girls may live. What a horrible thing. 
What a horrible thing. We, we look at this and we say, how can this happen that we would kill a newborn? But yet we know that happens today, don't we? Matter of fact, we get to celebrate a newborn this week. Happy dad back there, right? Everything good at home? Good deal. Newborns are an incredible thing. Such joy, such, such favor. And you sit there and think, what, what a wonderful thing to celebrate. But can you imagine for this nation of people, knowing that if a boy was born, it was not going to be celebration. It would be horrific. It would be scary. That's the environment. That's the background to what's taking place. I want to give you that setting. Understanding that although these slaves outnumbered all of Egypt, they were put in a horrific situation as they watched their children be brutally murdered. So we're going to focus on one family of these Hebrew slaves. And then within that one family, there's this girl named Miriam. And this young lady is growing up in a tough world. We think our teens are growing up in a tough world, and they are. And so is Miriam. They'd suffered the oppressive burden of enslavement for many years, and now this horrible decree to kill the newborn boys. And Miriam's mother, Jacobed, she is pregnant with her third child. And if the baby's a boy, he's going to be killed on the spot the day he's born. So can you imagine this, this young, you know, the parents, obviously, but then the siblings, the brother and, and the sister, Miriam, they're sitting there going, well, mom has her baby. Are we going to be able to keep it? I hope so. So then you, know, you wonder, are they praying for a girl now? And it's a boy in the name of Moses. And they know what's going to happen. But we read in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, and I'll read this for you. Hebrews eleven twenty three said, It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child. And they were not afraid to disobey the king's command. They knew there was something special about Moses. Every parent was going to try to hide their boy, believe me. But they sat there and they said, you know what? There's something special about this boy. So they hid him. But after three months, their parents knew they could no longer keep Moses hidden from the Egyptian authorities. So in an amazing act of faith, in trusting Moses to the Lord, they set him afloat in a basket in the Nile River. Look with me, would you please, into chapter 2, verse 2. The woman became pregnant. She gave birth to a son. And she saw that he was a special boy, and she kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she got a basket made of papyrus reeds and waterproofed it with tar and pitch. And she put the baby in the basket, and she laid it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile River. And the baby's sister then stood at a distance, watching to see what would happen to him. Now, as you read this, and as we read here, we saw that it was, the word was used as basket. Some of your translations, it may be ark. Matter of fact, that word is used twice in the Old Testament. Once in Genesis chapter 6 through 9, and then here in Exodus chapter 2. It's the same word for basket and ark. It's the same word. The word ark that was built for Noah and his family that would save his family as God commanded. And now we see Moses being saved in an, what? an ark. It's an amazing picture, right? Moms, how difficult is it to let your child go? That first night you come home from the hospital and you, the first night you put them in their own crib 
and you sleep in a different room. How hard is that, moms? How hard is it when they first learn to ride a bike and you're like letting them go? How hard is that to let go of that bike and let them bike on their own? How hard is it when they go over to that first sleepover at their friend's house? And you're like, oh, I wonder if they're okay. And you're all nervous, right? Moms, how hard is it when you take them to their first day of school and you say goodbye? Mm-hmm. Moms, how hard is it? There's my wife. When you let your child go to college on, the, on their own the first time and you drop them off and you learn to let go, right? It's hard, moms, isn't it? Can you imagine Moses' mother at this point in time? Her fears, her hopes, as she prayed to God and said, God, take care of this baby boy. And she put him in that ark. Think about this. I don't know. Maybe Miriam was right there with mom as she's taking these papyrus reeds and this tar pitch and making this ark. And maybe it was a mother and daughter craft time as they're preparing. It's like, Mom, what are we doing? We're making a little boat, a little ark to save our son, your brother. And they work together on this. And and could you think as she's making that, she's probably praying, God, protect my child as I place him in a river where a current could take him and just whisk him away. Or maybe there's going to be a hole and it's going to sink and he'll drown. Or maybe something in the Nile will get him or the wrong hands. To let go, Mom, that is so hard, but yet she trusted God. And here's where we pick up with Miriam, the unlikely hero of the story. And I call her that because this young girl, this daughter of slaves, we don't know how old she is at this time, but the courage she must have had as a little girl or maybe a teenage girl, probably a few years older. But she is the one we read in Scripture that stood by the banks, not mom, not dad, not brother Aaron, but Miriam. The courage of a young lady to say, I'm going to be here, and if something goes wrong, I'm the one that has to rescue him. Parents, you okay with that? Leaving one of the siblings in charge of the youngest? An infant? Oh, I'm going to go take off for a few hours. You got the infant at the river in a little boat, right? No mom would do that, right? But yet the mother of Moses knew she had to do this. And there's Miriam. A girl who now is building up courage within her life to do the right thing, to, to protect her brother. And she was probably praying along that side of that riverbank in hopes that one, her brother would be safe, and two, that nothing bad would happen. What an incredible responsibility to follow her baby brother as he floated in the Nile or as he was there in the reeds, not floating away. The historian Josephus writes about a princess. And if you ever heard of the name Josephus, he writes a lot about in Scripture that we, from another view that we've never seen, but historically all true. And a lot of times pastors and theologians go to Josephus and say, well, what did he have to say about this situation? We see what's going to happen here. As it says, look at verse uh, 5. Soon Pharaoh's daughter, just so happens, comes down to bathe in the river and her tenants walked along the riverbank. And we believe that they placed Moses in a cleverly position to hopefully be found by somebody of authority. When the princess saw the basket among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when the princess opened it, she saw the baby and the little boy's crying and she felt, felt sorry for him. This must be one of the Hebrew children, she said. 
It says the baby's sister approached the princess. Should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Now, as Josephus wrote in his historical letters, he said that several of the Egyptian nursemaids tried to comfort the baby and the attendants of the princess tried to comfort the baby, but it wouldn't work. And that is why Miriam, who so bravely, so courageously was standing nearby, came out from hiding and said, excuse me, would would you like me to go get one of the Hebrew mothers to maybe calm the baby? And she said, yes. So the girl went and called the baby's mother. Let's read this in verse 9. This is great. Take this baby. So they bring the baby's mother in. Here comes, think about this. Mom, mom. One of the princesses got Moses. You need to come with me now. So they show up, and the princess, holding Moses, looks at the mother of Moses and says, Would you please take care of this? She has no idea that's the mom, right? Would you please take care of this baby, feed him, nurse him, take care of him, and I'll pay you for it. The mother of Moses like, let me get this right. You want me to take, and she's not saying this out loud, right? You want me to take my child who belongs to me, nurse him, raise him up, and you're going to pay me? Wow, because a few thousand years from now, i got to pay everybody else to take care of this baby, right? What an amazing thing. Where God takes a horrific thing where this baby should have been killed, and God says, i got a better deal. I'm going to let this baby live, and I'm going to let you take care of it. And nobody's going to come to your house, no authority figures, because it's the princess is going to make sure that no Egyptians come to your house. So under no worries, you get to raise your child. Well, everybody else out and your next door neighbors, if they have a baby boy, you know what's going to happen to them. But you get to raise your baby worry-free. And you're going to get paid on top of that. Can you imagine that? The courage of Miriam to step up. I want to just pause and say this, ladies. To be not so much a mother today, but to be a godly woman. Something that it takes to be a godly woman today, ladies, is courage. To stand up when it's tough. To step forward when nobody else will step forward. To do something that nobody else is willing to do. It takes courage. Matter of fact, i got a young lady in the room right now It's going to come up. And she's going to share how she's decided to step up at a university and be courageous for God. Come on up, Jesse. And not only is she just being for a courageous God at a state university, but what she's got plans to do, or at least God's got plans for her to do. So why don't you introduce yourself real quick so everybody knows who you are. I'm Jesse Myers. And you came back today to celebrate Mother's birthday, or your dad's birthday and Mother's Day. Is it your birthday? Yeah, it is. Happy birthday. That's why she came back. And Mother's Day first, you know, mothers, fathers. Okay. And you go to school where? Ohio State. And I'm going to back off for a little bit, and I'm going to let you tell everybody what you're doing at Ohio State and what you're involved in. Okay. Um, since freshman year, I have been part of Crew, which is formerly called Campus Crusade for Christ. And um, for the past two years, I've been able to lead a Bible study in the freshman dorms on campus. And um, there's also like a weekly meeting um, where the whole campus can come together to worship. Um, and we just like the whole movement just desires to um, bring the gospel to college students. So um, one of the big things is um, spring break trips and summer missions trips. Um, We have different partnerships um, throughout the world and different cities in the United States. 
So uh, this summer I get to go to Chicago on summer missions, and we'll be joining a team there that's um, there all year long. And um, there's like 500,000 plus university students in the city of Chicago in the area. And so um, we're just going to um, be doing outreach and um, helping the team that's there um, establish campus ministries and just sharing our faith in the gospel with the students. Okay. Let me ask you something. Back when, you know, because next week we're going to be honoring our senior high graduates. And, you know, you rewind back to when you sat out here and you're thinking, oh, I'm graduating from high school. I'm going to college. Did you ever think you'd be involved in something like this? No. No. <laughs> I mean, think back to high school. Were you a vocal leader? Were you out there like, I need to go lead a Bible study and I'm going to go tell people about Jesus? Was that you in high school? Definitely not. Definitely not. <laughs> Isn't it amazing how God can take you and change you and mature you and give you the courage and strength? I thought that was awesome. You'd send a letter uh, to many people just sharing about what was going on. And I think that's very courageous for what you're doing, very obedient to what God's called you to do. But here's the thing. I know you're probably a little nervous about this. You still have a little support to raise yet, right? Yeah. Okay, so you got a little bit more money you need to raise for this summer trip. So that's one thing we can be praying for as a church. I know our church is uh, going to help donate and give some money to help you out. And here's the other thing. But let everybody else know, too, what can we be praying for you um, as you get ready to head out this summer on this missions trip? Um, just it's um, sometimes it's hard to um, share your faith and um, just be praying that people are open and willing to, like, listen and are receptive to the gospel. And just for our team that um, we're able to really reach people this summer. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Is there anything else you wanted to share with everybody? Uh, I think that's it. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much. The courage that is needed to be obedient, I believe, comes from God. And as Jesse was saying, you know, back when she was in high school, she didn't, never, right? And I'm sure Miriam, as she was maybe helping mom with that basket and that ark, thinking, you want mom, you want me to stand on the banks of the Nile? Me? Why not Aaron? Why not dad? Right? But that was her role, to courageously be there and then to intercede and to step in to the princess and to actually speak up to a princess and to suggest Somebody else could maybe nurse that baby. The courage it takes. Something about being a godly woman, ladies, is that it takes courage. Have you prayed for one another, ladies? Men, are you praying for your wives to be courageous? Gentlemen, are you praying for your mothers? Are you praying for the ladies in this church to be courageous? Can we pray for Jesse to be courageous as she heads off to Chicago to share with other college university students who don't know Jesus. That's a tough crowd to witness to. Let's pause and pray for it right now, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for what you've laid upon Jesse's heart. We pray, Lord, that you will encourage her and empower her and strengthen her to be a bold witness. Lord, that as she travels, you will protect her and watch over her, that you will take her team and bring them together and unified and, and to boldly move into places that maybe, um, I'm not sure, should we go here or not? And then your spirit directs them right where they need to be at the right time. 
to see incredible things take place. God, we pray for the spiritual development, too, of, uh, of her and her team as they will have all moments and opportunities to study and to learn and prepare themselves for how to share their faith. God, bless them and encourage them. In thy name we pray. Amen. Miriam not only had courage, but I believe she had a lot of compassion. And let me say this, and I believe many will agree with me, compassion is a characteristic that typically probably sets women apart from men, right? I mean, we know there's differences between men and women, but compassion, I think, is more so leans towards the females than it does the males. Roll with me on this one, okay? If we know the differences, like Laura, Linda, Elizabeth, and Barbara go out for lunch, they call each other Lori, Linda, Elizabeth, and Barbara. Now, if, if Mark, Chris... Eric and Tom go out for lunch. They call each other Fat Boy, Godzilla, Peanut Head, and Scrappy, right? They just, they just they, they have different names. And then when they're eating out, when the, when the bill arrives, Mark, Chris, Eric, and Tom, they each throw in 20 bucks, and the bill is only thirty-two fifty. but none of them claim to have anything smaller, and they don't want their change back. If the same ladies are sitting at the table and they get the same bill, they pull out the pocket calculators, and they're trying to figure out who gets what and how much, right? We know that a man will pay $2 for a $1 item, Right? And we know that ladies will only pay $1 for a $2 item, and most likely they don't need it, but it was on sale. Right? <laughs> Am I on target so far? Right? Yeah, we know this. A man has probably five items in the bathroom, right? And he can name them. Toothbrush, shaving cream, maybe a razor, a bar of soap, and a towel from the Marriott probably. Um, a lady probably has somewhere in the range of 337 items, and men can identify any of them. So, um, Arguments. A woman has the last word in any argument, right, gentlemen? Okay. Because anything a man says after that leads to another argument, so it's done, right? Uh, women love cats. Men say they love cats, but when women aren't looking, they kick them. So a big difference, right? And as for when it comes to the future, a woman uh, typically worries about the future until she gets a husband. And she's not worried about the future anymore. Gentlemen, we never worry about the future until we get a wife. Then we're worried about the future, right? Dressing up, a woman will dress up to go shopping, water the plants, empty the garbage, answer the phone, read a book, get the mail, right? A man dresses up for weddings and funerals. That's about it, right? Okay. When it comes to offspring, children. Well, um, a woman knows all about her children, okay? She knows the doctor's appointments, dentist appointments. She knows the romances, best friends, favorite foods, secret fears, hopes, dreams. She knows everything. Men, we're like, who are these little people around here, right? It's the way it rolls. So we, we know there are differences between men and women. And women, when it comes to compassion, though, you know how to nurture. You really do. You're like, you take, you take this compassion and you just throw it upon your children. And men, we're like, dude, get up, brush it off, right? You're all right. Get over it, right? Mothers, you know, they run to their hurt children, you know, you know, and men are like, get up, you know, that doesn't hurt. Matter of fact, we just saw this the other day. We were at a ball game. It was like, thank you, Lord. That's perfect for what, you know, what I'm talking about. It was, it was a high fly foul ball. And everybody's going, foul ball, foul ball. And there's a picnic table over here. And there's a little boy laying under the picnic table. And there's a gentleman sitting there. And it's the dad and the grandpa or a friend over here. And mom's over there. And foul ball. And the, and the dad's like, jumps out of the way. The ball hits the kid. I mean, he's, he's laying underneath. Somehow between the, the bench and the table, it went right between smack on the back. He's laying there. And the dad's like, whew, oh, I didn't know he was there. The mom comes running, and I'm, I'm surprised the kid didn't get, like, 
grass burns. She like grabs it's like, it's like, y'all right? Takes them and cuddles them and. And it was like, that's the difference between men and women right there. I mean, the guy's like ducking and, oh, that's my kid. I didn't know he was there. And the woman's cuddling him. I, you know, I think about this. Women, you have compassion. God's given you as a gift. Let me tell you something, ladies. Where does that come from? God himself. In Scripture, uh, Dan's going to throw up some verses up here, or Christian is actually. Exodus 34, 5 to 7. Let me read some of these Scriptures to you. The Lord came down in a cloud, and he stood there with him, and he proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate, gracious, compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining the thousands. David, in his understanding of his sinfulness, Psalm 51, 1 to 3 says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. In the Old Testament, we hear the Old Testament writer saying, God is a compassionate God. And then in Matthew chapter 15, verse 32, we read about Jesus who called his disciples and he said, I feel sorry for these people. I have compassion for them. They've been here for three days. They have nothing to eat. Matthew 20, 34 says this. I'll just double check and make sure it's up there. Jesus felt sorry for them. He had compassion on them and touched them. Mark 1, 41, moved with compassion. Jesus reached out and touched. We know that God has compassion. Then Jesus becomes flesh. Our God becomes flesh in Jesus, and Jesus has compassion on people. Then Paul says in Ephesians 4, 32, to be kind and compassionate to one another. So God says, I am full of compassion. My son is full of compassion, and you should be compassionate towards one another. So ladies, when I look at you and I think of how Miriam had compassion to say, I love my brother, I will stand next to him, I have courage, but I also have compassion for him. I think, where does she get that? She gets it from God. Ladies, where do you get your compassion from? From God. Every time you are showing compassion to your children, to your neighbor, to your husband, to your friends, to your family. Guess what? You are showing a characteristic of God. It's been given to you. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful characteristic. So Miriam is a woman of courage, young lady of compassion, but she was also a woman of worship. If we were to fast forward through this story, when they leave Egypt, they get to the Red Sea, And Egyptians are hot on their tail and they're ready to capture them. But there's this fire at night and this smoke during the day. And they they eat this pill and they can't get through. And finally God opens the Red Sea and the children of Israel go across. The Egyptians then follow and the Red Sea comes in on them. And it says when they got across, in Numbers chapter 12, verse 6 to 8, we read this. I'm sorry, wrong wrong scripture. Exodus chapter 12, um, verse 37 it starts the story telling us about how many men and women crossed. And it goes on to share the story then of when Moses sings this incredible song. And as he sings this incredible song, later in chapter 15, Miriam wraps up the song. Moses starts it. There's like 20 verses of a great song. And then Miriam concludes the worship service. She led the women of Israel in a joyous celebration. She was a woman of worship, too. That's my W. That's, like I said, I couldn't think of, think of a title. Courage, compassion, W, worship. But that's what she was. 
See, she didn't worry about a sermon title. She didn't worry about the letters matching up. She was a godly woman that said, I am full of courage. I'm full of compassion. And I love my Lord. And I want to worship him too. But here's the other thing about Miriam is she failed too. She wasn't perfect. She made a mistake. Surrounded by the children of Israel who got into the wilderness and started complaining, no water, no food, we're out in the desert. All of a sudden it starts to come back to her because it was Moses, her brother Aaron, and herself as leaders that was hearing all the complaints before long the negativity takes over. And now she goes to Moses with her complaints. It was not a good situation. A little jealousy. Numbers chapter 12, verses 68, we read, So immediately the Lord called to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam and said, Go out to the tabernacle, all three of you. It's like, oh, they're in trouble, right? It's like, Mom and Dad, get the kids together. Three of you, get in there now. So the three of them go to the tabernacle. The Lord descended in the pillar of the cloud, stood at the entrance of the tabernacle. Aaron, Miriam, he called, and they stepped forward. And the Lord said this. Can you imagine just like mom, dad, talking to the kids when they're in trouble, right? Two of them stepped forward. Listen to what I have to say. If there were prophets among you, I, the Lord, would reveal myself in visions. I'd speak to them in dreams, but not with my servant Moses. Of all my house, he's the one I trust. Can you imagine Aaron and Miriam's face right now? Like, sorry. I speak to him face to face, clearly, not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. So why were you not afraid to criticize my servant Moses? The Lord was very angry with them, and he departed. And as the cloud moved from above the tabernacle, there stood Miriam, her skin as white as snow. She had leprosy. God said, you blew it. But I'm punishing you. What did Moses do? Moses stepped forward and just pleaded with God, God, save my sister. Because she is a godly woman. And she made a mistake. He interceded for her. And God said, I'll heal her. But here's the deal. According to ceremonial law, she had to go outside the camp for seven days. They were ready to move on. But everybody had to wait. Million plus people had to wait because Miriam made a mistake. Everybody knew. Can you imagine the embarrassment Miriam felt? Everybody knows why we're not moving. We're supposed to pack up our camp, take off. It's going to be seven days now. It's my fault. She was very humbled. And from then on, if you read about Miriam, you don't hear much about her. And a lot of theologians believe that's because she, sub- she uh, submissively supported her brother Mo- Moses in her God-given role. She figured out, I'm a woman of compassion and courage, and I help lead worship. I dare not be critical. Women, I'm not sure what this message is intended to say to you except this. There's a lot of godly women throughout the Bible. Sometimes we read about them, sometimes we don't hear them. Sometimes it's, oh, let's talk about Deborah, or let's talk about Ruth. Let's talk about Esther, the big-name ladies that are out there. But did you know there are some small names of ladies that are mentioned in the Bible? And their stories are so simple. Some of them were mothers, some of them were not. And I don't know if you noticed, but Miriam was a mother. But we didn't hear one thing about her being a godly mother. What we hear is her being a godly person. So ladies, this morning, I just want to encourage you to seek God in being a godly woman. Full of courage. Full of compassion. Full of worship. And gentlemen, are you praying for the ladies in this church to be that way? 
I charge you, gentlemen, pray for the ladies. Pray that they have courage. Pray that they have compassion. Pray that they are full of worship. Because, gentlemen, on Father's Day, I'll encourage the ladies to pray for you too, okay? But today, ladies, I want to encourage you to be the godly woman that he's called you to be. I'm going to ask uh, Dave if he'd come up here at this time. Because we want to close out this service with a time of communion. I think about how Miriam was on that last plague when the firstborn was going to be killed. They had to go out, find that lamb, slaughter the lamb, take the blood, put it on the post, and they celebrated the Passover. And then fast forward years later when Jesus was in the upper room with his disciples, and they celebrated the Passover. And we know that Jesus was called the Lamb of God and that within hours he would be crucified. And when they would take the blood, and almost like a doorpost on where one, two wrists, and the head, where he was pierced, similar to the doorposts in the Old Testament. And I think about what Miriam went through that night, thinking, my brother has come back so that he can help free these people from slavery, and myself included. And I fast forward and think of Mary, who said, my son, the Lamb of God, is going to be crucified. His blood will free us from sin and death. Both women had to think about how freedom was coming. We have freedom today as believers in Jesus Christ because of what God's Son, Jesus Christ, did on the cross. That crucifixion and His death and His burial and His resurrection to give us new life in Jesus Christ. We praise God for that. If you're here this morning and you have confessed with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, then we invite you to take part in the Lord's Supper which we also call communion. I'm going to pray. And as Dave plays, we're going to invite you to, to go to one of the tables in the back where the communion is and grab a cup, and grab a piece of bread, and go ahead and take the piece of bread and eat it. And when you're done with the bread, then take the cup of juice and drink it. And then come back to your seats and we'll close with a song of worship. But as you do this, just think about what Christ has done for you what Christ has done for us in giving us his life so that we could have eternal life, so we could be free just like the children of Israel and to have a new life. Would you stand please as we pray? When I'm done praying, you can go ahead and move to your table and partake in communion. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son Jesus Christ to come to this earth to live to die for us. And Jesus, we believe that you came here to save us from our sins. Thank you, Lord, for the picture of what happened with Miriam. That she wasn't perfect. She made a mistake, but yet you forgave her. We make mistakes every day, and you forgive us. Thank you. Thank you, God, for forgiving us. And it's because of our sins is why you had to die. So when we take this piece of bread and we take this cup, Lord, help us remember it's our sins. It's what cost you everything. And what cost you everything has now given us freedom.
are so thankful. So God, we take this time to humbly confess to you our sinfulness and to joyfully thank you for forgiveness. So God, we take this bread, we take this cup in remembrance of what you've done. Thank you for loving us. In thy name we pray. Amen.